Well, I come here this morning with gratitude to the Lord for many things. Uh, First of all, it was 34 years ago today that Mona and I were married. And uh, I can't imagine what my life would have been like or my ministry would have been like in the last 34 years if it hadn't been for her. And I know I wouldn't have all this family with me. Uh, almost all of my family got to come down and spend some time at the Rages this weekend. We're very grateful for that, grateful for the folks here in Sedalia. Uh, my only regret this morning, well, maybe a couple of them, one is that um, everybody that came down from Kirksville has to listen to me again instead of Clint. Uh, we greatly enjoyed and were blessed by those messages out of Acts at, at the men's retreat uh, here recently that we had up there at Kirksville. And then also, I regret that I am so poorly qualified to speak on the subject that I'm speaking on. Um, Bob Rages asked me if I was going to write another book, and I said, well, the more I write, the further I get from being qualified to write on it. And uh, that's how I feel about this subject that we're going to look at today. But if you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 22, and uh, beginning at verse 34, and let's stand and we'll read this and then I'll pray and we'll, Lord willing, we'll look into the Word. Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. Isn't that quite a thought? And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost, or first, commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would open our eyes a little bit more to the meaning of these words. We ask for Your Holy Spirit, a spirit of faith and power and love and of a sound mind. Help us today. Glorify Yourself. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible says some incredible things about love. And often we don't realize how far-reaching and profound those things are. In the text that we've just read, the Lord answers a question. What is the, the great commandment? What is the great commandment in the law? And uh, His answer is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if that's all He had said, 
what we might go away from this with the idea is we might go away thinking, well, that's number one, and then there's number two, and number three, and number four, and on down the line, maybe in order of importance. But the Lord volunteered something that wasn't asked. The, the, the scribe here didn't ask him, or the lawyer didn't ask him, what's the second great commandment? He volunteered that. And he did that in order to lay the foundation for a, a big teaching. And so he goes on and he says, and Jesus just volunteers this. He says, a second is like it. How was it like it? What, is, what's, what makes it like it? Love. So the first one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, the second is like it. You shall love. And then it goes horizontally. And so, the Lord volunteers that. His second is like it. <clears throat> Why does He go on? Well, He's laying the groundwork for a very foundational teaching that He gives in verse 40. And that is, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And the word depend here is literally the word hang. On these two commandments the whole law and prophets. So you go back here and you take this entire Old Testament, all those pages, and all those commandments, and you take all those, and he says, on those two commandments, hang everything. They hang on that. Quite an amazing statement. In other words, the heart, the summation the essence of everything, all those many multiplied commandments is summed up in those two. So it's not one, two, three, four, five, and so on. It's just two. And he says everything hangs on those two. And we see this brought out again by the Lord in the so-called golden rule. That's in Matthew 7.12. He says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that is it. That's the Law and the Prophets. So, an amazing thing. The entire Law and Prophets summed up in that word. Now this means several things. First of all, it means that love is the big thing with God. Love is the big thing. Now listen carefully to me here. I'm going to say some shocking things. Adultery is not a big thing with God. Murder is not a big thing with God. Idolatry, theft, and lying are not big things with God. Except as they violate the commandment to love. Now that's what's involved in what Jesus is teaching here. Now let me, let me say it a different way. Adultery is a very big thing with God because it is a very big violation of the commandment to love. It goes directly in the face of the commandment to love. See, that's a big thing with God. Murder is a very big thing with God because it is such a violation of love. If you steal from somebody, there might be a possibility of paying that back. If you murder somebody... There's no getting that back. 
you kill somebody's father, they'll never get their father back again. Now this is a big violation of love. It's a big violation of love toward God because you've killed someone who's made in the image of God. You've, you've dishonored God. You see? So this goes back to, ultimately, to love. Um, child abuse is a very big thing with God because it is such a great transgression of love. You see, nothing means anything apart from love because... Every other commandment hangs on love. It hangs on it. So when God says you shall not murder, what did Jesus say about that? He said that commandment hangs on the love commandment. You see how that works? It makes perfect sense. He says on these two commandments all the others hang. So you shall not murder, that hangs easily, doesn't it? On love your neighbor as yourself. That just... Easy to figure that out. It hangs on that. Why is it that love is so central? Well, because the Bible says God is love. Now, this is quite a thing. The Bible says that God is just, but it never says that God is justice. Right? It says that God is merciful, but it never says that God is mercy. But it does say that God is love. It's a very difficult statement to understand even. God is love. I remember uh, that testimony of Gladys Allward uh, there in China where years ago where um, they were way up in the mountains of Tibet and there was uh, uh, a group of lamas there, lamasary, like uh, uh, monks uh, of, of their sort up in the mountains. And um, they overheard Gladys Allward and this other, uh, I think he, maybe he was a doctor, Chinese doctor, singing. And they brought them up. They said, nobody sings except the people who know the God that, that loves what are you talking about? Well, years ago, one of the monks had come back with a little tract with John 3.16 on it, and they read it and passed it around over and over and over reading about the God who loves, because they never had heard of any God who loves. And so they said, tell us about the God who loves. Now, we're used to this. I witnessed uh, and was friends with an atheist boy there in Germany many years ago and I, he said why didn't God reveal himself to me like he did you I said why should he well God loves me see that's the kind of attitude we have but whenever you've grown up in a religion that knows nothing about the God who loves it is a shocking thing that's how a lot of Muslims are converted they hear about the sermon on the mount or they hear about the God who loves and they say I've never heard anything like this there was a, a fellow from uh, Saudi Arabia who was there going to school there, actually from Medina. And uh, one of the fellows was witnessing to him out of the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff that Jesus was saying. He said, wait a minute, let me see that. Never had seen anything, heard anything like the Sermon on the Mount. That's the God who loves. Isn't this an amazing thing? The great sin, if you're not a Christian, 
this morning, the greatest sin in your life, what's the biggest commandment that there is? Shall love the Lord your God. The big sin in people's lives is not did they do this or did they do that? The question is loving God. You think of it, think of a, a lot of the funerals of atheists, and people are saying, "Well, he was such a good man. He did this. He did that. Well, did he love God? Well, no. Well, he broke the greatest commandment that there is daily. Isn't this something? The the central moral characteristic of ultimate reality is love. That's the center and heart of everything. That's the standard for everything. We've got ideas that these other sins are the big things. All they are as sins is because they hang in relation to love. God is love. I mean, think of any sin. So love is the big thing with God. Now, religious people are always concerned about laws and rules. And uh, there are many examples of this. You remember Judas came in there to the temple after he had betrayed the Lord. He's full of remorse. Think of this miserable man. Jesus said better if he hadn't been born. And he comes in there and he says, I have, I have sinned, I've betrayed innocent blood. What the religious people say is, see to that yourself. He went out and killed himself. He was on the brink of suicide. They didn't care about that. They started discussing. They said, this money that he threw back in here, we can't really put that in the treasury because that's blood money, you know. And the Bible says such and such. They're concerned about their rules and the little things that they're keeping. And they're ready to see him go out and commit suicide. God hates that. He cares about love first and foremost. He says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. He said that over and over, didn't he? <clears throat> it's so easy to lose the big, big things and keep our rules and feel good about ourselves. So, Love is the big thing. That's number one. Number two, every sin is a lack of love. Think of your sins throughout the day. Suppose you get up in the morning, you don't really have any desire to spend time with God. That's a lack of love for God. You read the Word, but you do it as a duty. You've got coolness in prayer. You've got unbelief in prayer. You're impatient with your wife. All of those things, every, you just go down the line. It's lack of love. <clears throat> Grumbling about the rain. Impatient about the driver in front of you. Jealous of your co-worker who got a raise. Tempted to take some money from the cash register. Rude to a customer. Think about you sit down beside somebody. I've done this so many times. I think of my sins and failings as a, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a pastor. They all fall in the area of lack of love. You sit down beside somebody and you get up. You've, been, you've had 20 minutes together. You realize either that you talked about yourself all the time or you didn't talk about anything. 
what's that? Lack of love. Self-centeredness. Somebody talks to you, get, you get a half hour with somebody and they talk about themselves the whole time. What is that? Lack of love. They're not thinking about you, what's going on with you, how are you doing? See how this is? And it's, it, it is just amazing. Vance Havner um, was an old Baptist preacher. He, he had, I think it was a pastorate up in the mountains of uh, North Carolina or somewhere. <clears throat> but he was visiting with one of the men in the church who was out plowing with horses back then. And uh, they'd talk about the things of God. And one day he asked this old man, he said, uh, he said, there have been a lot of preachers in this church, but all I hear about, everybody talks about Josiah Elliott. He was a preacher that they had, a pastor. He said, what, what was it about this Josiah Elliott? What, why is it that everybody talks about him? What was the secret of his great strength? And this old fellow said, well, he just loved us. And then he went on plowing. And if you think back in your life, the people that have impacted you the most, the Christian, the men of God that have impacted you the most, they loved you. That's what it is. And I've, I, I know of wayward children, wayward sons who have gone away, or wayward daughters that have gone away if there's love, if they knew. I remember... One fellow was telling me he talked to this guy that had, had been converted. He said, what was it? He said, I knew that my parents loved me. I mean, that's bigger than every other lecture and everything that could be said, isn't it? Think of this. Every sin is a lack of love. Every marriage problem. One or the other or both is not acting in love. <clears throat> you know... The opposite of love is not hate, it's self. Contrast all that with the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. First thing, love. I remember one one morning years ago, I was sitting out in our van having a little quiet time in the morning reading the Bible and the Lord drew near and the Holy Spirit was present there in a measure and I just felt love for Christ and reality in Christ. The first thing I thought of was my neighbor was sitting over there next in the house next to ours. He was sitting on the porch swing and immediately I wanted to go share, the, share with him about the Lord. Just It's just the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. <clears throat> When the Holy Spirit fills you, you're filled with love. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. I just thought I'd read this from Sarah Edwards, her testimony at a time when God was moving in a wonderful way. Years ago there in New England. And uh, pouring out His Spirit on a lot of people. She says, at the same time, my heart and soul all flowed out in love to Christ so that there seemed to be a constant flowing and reflowing of heavenly and divine love from Christ's heart to mine. And I appeared to myself to float or swim in these bright beams of the love of Christ like the moat swimming in the beams of the sun. 
or the streams of His light which come in at the window. So she's feeling that the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then she says this, When I arose on the morning of the Sabbath, I felt a love to all mankind, wholly peculiar in its strength and sweetness, far beyond all that I'd ever felt before. The power of that love seemed to be inexpressible. I thought if I were surrounded by enemies who were venting their malice and cruelty upon me and tormenting me, it would still be impossible that I should cherish any feelings towards them but those of love and pity and ardent desires for their happiness. I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the first things that I felt was such love for the guys that I worked with in the filling station that formerly I had hated. It just flows out of your heart. You don't have anything anymore against anybody. Nobody can make you angry when your heart is full of the spirit of love. Well, every sin is a transgression of love. Now, you've got to, you know, you can listen to these things and agree with them theoretically, but you've got to test this. You realize what I just said? Every sin is a transgression of love. That's pretty big. That's a big statement. And that's what, what, what else does it mean when Jesus said, on these two love commandments hang everything? That's saying that every sin is a transgression of love. That's what it's saying. You cannot break any commandment that doesn't relate to the love commandment. When you're talking about this whole thing of what God requires of man. Alright, this is number three. If you love, you will automatically fulfill every moral commandment of God just by loving. Now that's even more radical and controversial. And uh, at this point, really, you ought to have a lot of red flags coming up. Is it true? If you love, if you really love, you'll automatically fulfill every commandment of God just by loving. Is that true? On what basis do we know that? Well, let's look at a passage in Luke chapter 10. You know, that means that a lot of things that are called love are not really love, doesn't it? Luke chapter 10. I mean, most times when a guy says to a girl, I love you, it means I love myself. Would he say the same thing a week or two later if she'd been in some terrible car accident? Or ten years later, if she had done some terrible things? See? Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is another lawyer, and he and they seem to be good about putting the Lord to the test and ask, asking questions. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? 
And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God. This guy was incredible in his understanding of the Bible. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He got them both. And Jesus said to him, Oh no, there are a lot of other commandments that you have to keep along with those two. That isn't it, is it? You've answered correctly. You do those two, you've done everything there is to do. You'll have eternal life. That means that if you keep those two commandments perfectly, you've kept everything. That means that if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you automatically will keep every other commandment just by loving. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And that's a quote from Leviticus where God says, do this and you will live. The only problem is nobody has ever done that except for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did that. He kept those two commandments perfectly. Perfectly. Every moment of every day, he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And every moment of every day, he loved his neighbor as himself. Amazing thing. That's that righteousness that we sang about that's been given to us. If you love, you'll automatically fulfill every moral commandment of God just by loving. Now a question comes up, what is love then? Two college students living together outside of marriage. Abortion, you know, the only loving thing you can do is is kill this baby because they're going to grow up in such a bad environment. That's the argument. Or euthanasia. You know, this is suffer- this person's suffering, so we have to assist them in their suicide. That's a loving thing. Well, all of these things are abuses of the word love. And uh, uh, to avoid that problem, a lot of people in the so-called reform community have emphasized commandments. They said, well, love is a wonderful motivator, but it doesn't really know what to do without commandments. It really needs commandments. And so they emphasize commandments. John Murray, who was a wonderful Reformed theologian, and so good in many ways, he said, Adam even needed a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, Adam Adam and Eve wouldn't have been able to figure that out apart from a command. Well, that's not the way, that's not what that was. Be fruitful and multiply is a blessing. God just, you know, enjoy the world, the life, everything wonderful that I've created. It was a blessing. But you get this commandment mindset. The center of Christian living is commandments. And love is this motivator that you need to help you do the commandments rightly. That's a wrong way of looking at things. That isn't it. The practical result of that is that commandments are made the center of holiness and love is, is only seen as an emotional motivator for proper commandment keeping. Now that's just not right. Think of heaven. What do you think it's going to be like in heaven? You think you're going to need commandments there? You know, you, you need to love God. Don't steal this from that. and don't. That, we're not going to need those commandments in heaven. I mean... 
it's just love is going to reign supreme. And that tells us that commandments can't be central. Love is. And Paul says that in Romans 13. When he's talking about this whole thing of love, he says, Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who has loved another has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the law. For this, and this is Romans 13.9, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Okay? That's just Paul's logic there. Love isn't just the motivator. Love itself is the fulfillment of the law. You see, love does not need a commandment to tell it to be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is. Paul, remember 1 Corinthians 13, all those things that love is. Love is that. Love itself tells me not to murder my neighbor. I mean, if I love the guy next to me, suppose you didn't have the Bible. A lot of people don't have the Bible. The very thing written on their heart, which is what the law of God written on their heart, which is summed up in one word, love, that's what tells them I ought not to kill that guy. That's not loving. They know that. Love itself tells me not to commit adultery. Love tells me not to steal his car. Love tells me not to falsely accuse him. Love for God keeps me from making idols or taking his name in vain. Love keeps me from cursing a deaf man. I mean, think of this. There's a guy that cannot hear. You remember this commandment in the law? You shall not curse a deaf man. Love tells me not to do that. So here's a guy walking along who's deaf and says, He can't hear me. I think I'm going to curse him. See how evil that is? But you don't need a commandment if you love him. You know, you shall not place a stumbling block before a blind man. Here's a guy who's blind walking along there. and so let's, let's put a log there in front of him so he'll fall down. Love tells you not to do that. Love tells you not to dig a pit and leave it open there and not put anything around it. Not to cover it. There was a commandment about that, wasn't there, in the Old Testament. There was another one that said you have to build a railing around this high deck or parapet or whatever. Love tells you to do that. Somebody might fall off of there. And you can go along through those commandments. Paul says, whatever, if there's any other commandment. It's summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love tells you to confine a dangerous animal. There were laws about that in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's the basis of it. Here's Leviticus 19.34, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers. You were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So here's this, this kid that nobody sits with. 
and everybody makes fun of, immediately you ought to know, I ought to go sit with him. You just know that love tells you to do that. Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19, God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. If you've ever been in that position, love tells you what you ought to do towards that person. In the New Testament, it's the same way. Love tells me to share the gospel. tells me to give to those in need. It tells me not to do what even the Gentiles without any Bible know not to do. Romans 1. So Paul says, if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this word. In Galatians 5, Paul's writing to converted Gentiles, and he says the whole, whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. They didn't even know all this Old Testament revelation. But he didn't try, and isn't it amazing, when Paul's talking to the Gentile converts, he could easily quote some Old Testament passage in many cases, and he doesn't do it. He uses all this stuff about you know, what love does and how love is. I mean, you get over there, he's talking about, about meats. Is it right to eat meat or not? And he, some people have knowledge that it's okay to eat this meat that had been, and what was the problem? The meat had been set out or dedicated before an idol, a false god. And then it was sold in the marketplace. So when you went down in the marketplace, you'd never know whether that piece of meat might have been set out before an idol before you ever got it. And Paul says, we know that, that there's nothing unclean about the meat itself. These idols are just false gods. It's alright to eat that meat. That's knowledge. That's a knowledge from the Gospel. So how is he going to deal with this problem in the church? Well, 1 Corinthians... He starts out, he says, <clears throat> now, concerning these things sacrificed to idols, we all have knowledge. You know, we know what knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And the whole thing of dealing with meat sacrificed to idols, he deals with in terms of love as a big commandment. He does that in Romans 14. These issues, differences, and so on, what's he do? He trumps it all with love. Well, I think we ought to have green carpet, blue carpet. Actually, I, I helped lay this carpet back. <laughs> well, I think we ought to have red carpet. And you can get to, and do you realize that most problems in churches relate to that kind of thing? Some of them relate to matters of conscience. So and so doesn't feel like it's right to do such and such. And so and so feels like it is right to do such and such. And in the case of eating meats, Paul knew the answer. He said, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. He knew that, but instead of blasting them with that, he treats the whole thing as an issue of love. And he says, even though I know that, that's not the big thing. The big thing is believing the best about one another. He that observes the day observes it to the Lord. If he's, he's not a legalist, if he's observing that day, he's trying to please the Lord. And he that does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He's not lawless. He's trying to please the Lord. Believe the best about him. 
That's the whole thing of love in the church. Now, isn't it amazing? (laughs) And it's no surprise at all when you begin to see this that the Lord gave one new commandment. One commandment. And where did He give it? When did He give that new commandment? Where? In the upper room. Why did, he do, why did he wait till then? He could have been teaching that all through his ministry. In some ways he was, but not like that. A new commandment I give unto you. Why do you suppose he said that then? Well, because he said this is the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant. And in the giving of a covenant, there was, a giving, there was an eating of a meal and the giving of a law. Go back to the Old Testament. God gave the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. There was a giving of the law and there was a sacrificial meal that they ate in the presence of God. Now the real thing's happening. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant. This is the real deal. And I give you a new commandment in connection with this new covenant. And this is what it is. You don't have 613 to remember. One thing to remember, love one another as I have loved you. That's the big one. And it's, it's everywhere in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, I already mentioned. Romans 13. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. <clears throat> Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things put on love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love. What Paul says, the whole reason that we're preaching and the whole reason that you come and, and you listen to instruction all the time, the whole purpose of it is not so that you could know what the tenth toe of Daniel's image means in prophecy. Or what's going to happen when the Antichrist does this or that. That doesn't have anything to do with the big stuff. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. If you have that, you've got the big stuff. And isn't this amazing? There are people around that we might condemn. You know, they don't understand this and that doctrine. They're far more pleasing to God because they're walking in more love. I remember years ago writing one of my notebooks. I wrote down, Oh God, let me be with men of a burning heart rather than cold carnal doctrinarians. I'd far rather be with a man that can't see some areas of doctrine that I see who's hot in his heart toward God. I think of Keith McLeod used to come down here Keith McLeod was a King James only guy. He only believed the King James was... He never made that an issue whatsoever. One time I asked him about something that he had said in a meeting that was a little bit off. And he said, Oh, brother, just correct anything that I say that's wrong. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) This guy had seen great works of God. Miraculous things. Glorious things. But he was walking in the reality that love is a big thing. 
Isn't it easy to lose the most important things and start to focus on the list of rules? The goal of our instruction is love. Peter, 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another more than anything else. Not barely putting up with one another, but fervent in your love for one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. It really does. It's so easy to lose what's most important, start to focus on a list of rules. You know, read the Bible, say your prayers, do this, do this. I think it was Paul Washer said, compare this. Suppose what husband would be pleased with his wife. He comes home from a long trip overseas or somewhere and she stands at the door and she's got a list. Greet husband, number one. So she greets him. Hug husband. Kiss husband. See, you could do all the outward actions and if it wasn't motivated from love, if it didn't spring up from love, it's worthless. We can lose track of what really matters. I mean, it is so far better to be a new convert who doesn't no clue one about so-called holiness, but they love God. That's what real holiness is. You do all the other stuff, get all the things in row, and start losing your love for Christ and keep doing the list of things. That's not holiness. That's ugly. That's what the Pharisees had. That's why it was so odious. They're walking, you know, everything, but they don't have love. He says, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I don't want that list. I don't want that outward conformity to a list of rules. I want reality flowing out of the inner man. When I was writing that book about the law of Christ, I I said at the start, how unworthy I am to speak on the subject. When I was writing the book, I kept having it put in front of me, you know, love, love as I have loved you. Love as I have loved you. And I, if I evaluated my life by the list, I was doing pretty good. And I read my Bible today. I did this. I did this. I did that. And then you just try it. Try it. Well, have, have I loved the way Christ loved me? And you're failing utterly. And yet at the same time, it's so liberating, isn't it? Because it's not, it's, there's life in it. There's reality in it. Remember Valard <clears throat> Zupke, whom a lot of you know, he used to say to us college guys, he says, fellows, cultivate the love relationship. Cultivate the love relationship with the Lord. And I didn't realize at the time how rare it was to have anybody say that. You can be in all kinds of discipleship groups and everything else. You never hear anybody tell you to cultivate a love relationship with the Lord. And that's the biggest thing there is. And it's one of the first things we're ready to lose. When God promised to write His law on the heart. You remember He says, <clears throat> He says, I will... He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I'm not going to write my law on tablets of stone. I'll write it on your heart. What is the law? Let's, say, let's suppose you could take all the law and the prophets and just distill it down like that. What is? This is the law and the prophets. What is it? It's love. 
Well, he's saying, what I'm going to do when you become a Christian, I'm going to put love on your heart. Those two big commandments. And it's there. Every Christian loves God. It just put in your heart immediately. You love Him. If you're a child, true child of God, you love God. Paul says that. We know that all things work together for good to the Christians. Well, who are they? To them that love God. That's just a definition of a Christian. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Every Christian loves Christ. Every Christian loves God. But not what else? Every Christian loves his fellow Christian. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 You yourself, Concerning love for the brethren, you have no need for anybody to teach you that. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That's there. These churches, you know, a church that's filled with hatred is a church that's not filled with Christians. It's just that simple. I've heard pastors stand up front and say, now, you know, we Christians ought not to hate one another the way we do. That's clueless about what Christianity is. That's, you're not a Christian. He who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. That's what John says. Well, God puts on our hearts love for Him and love for one another. Well, everything's fine then. We'll never have any problems. No, we've got to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We don't have to create it, but there's going to be things that are fighting all the time. Our own flesh fights against it. And, and there's going to be opposition all the time to unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's going to be opposition all the time to love. But the first thing to realize is, I don't have to create love in my heart for any other true Christian. It's there already. I don't have to make unity with Alan Green. I've got unity with him. Now I've got to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. See, that's something, it helps you, doesn't it, to realize we are one. We have a common enemy. We're not enemies of each other. We have a common enemy who is Satan who wants to destroy us. And he wants to try to use any little nab of carnality in our life and latch on to that and get us off track from the big thing and get us to fighting over some little thing like what color carpet. And as Christians, we've got to, we've got to realize what's going on. The devil's trying to get me away from the one thing that matters. This is not something we have to create. It's something we have to walk in. A couple more things and I'm done. If God has put love on my heart, why do I need a command, any commandments at all? If love fulfills everything, if just by walking in love fulfills everything, well, the reason we need commandments still is that we still are in this mortal body. We still have opposition, the deceitfulness of sin and the devil. All kinds of things warring against us. Sometimes we can't tell whether our actions are selfish or whether they're really from God. Sometimes we don't know for sure what the loving thing to do is in a situation is. And so we need these commandments and we thank God for every commandment and exhortation in the Bible. And particularly in the New Testament. 
I mean, Paul, Paul writes to Ephesians, he says, let him who steals, steal no more. He even writes to thieves. You think, well, wouldn't, wouldn't they catch on? Well, yeah, they would. But it helps you, doesn't it? I mean, if, you're, if you've been converted out of a life of thievery, you don't instantly see everything. You're dealing with a new convert, there are a lot, a lot of big things they don't see. And the exhortations and commandments of, of the Bible help us to see things more clearly and sort things out. And I think that Christian thief would eventually, it wouldn't take him too long to realize, hey, that's not really right to steal that. You know, that's not loving. But Paul just says, don't do it. But rather, go beyond that, work with your hands so that you could give to somebody. We need every commandment of God, and we thank God for them. We need to grow in grace, and eventually we have our senses exercised more and more to discern good and evil. And as one brother said, I don't need somebody to tell me not to put my gum under the table anymore. I know that. That's something you've progressed beyond that, you know. And there's some things that you're not going back to. And what I'm saying is, the Christian life is not a law-centered life. It's a love-centered life. Now one more thing. All of this has profound implications for knowing the will of God. Let me just read to you from Romans 2. For the Jew... His knowledge of the will of God came from the law. Listen to it. You bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law. You approve the things that are essential. You distinguish between the things that differ being instructed out of the law. So, I know the will of God as a Jew, back in the Old Testament, I knew the will of God by being instructed out of the law. Now, this is the amazing thing. He uses the very same phrase in Philippians, talking to Christians. Philippians 1, 9. He says, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Same phrase exactly in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So he says to, to a Christian, he says, you're, to the Jew, he says, you bear the name Jew, you're instructed out of the law, you know His will, you approve the things that are excellent. Now he's writing to Christians, he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more so that you might approve the things that are excellent. It's, it's, how, do, how do Christians know the will of God? Well, it goes beyond being instructed out of the law. It's beyond that. And this is very helpful throughout the Christian life. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and prophets. If the tables were turned, what would I want him to do to me? It's very simple, isn't it? But it's very costly. I mean, just applying the law of love. I mean, I remember reading about those prisoners there in Russia back when. Uh, before the Soviet Union collapsed. And one of the things, they'd get care packages and stuff from Christians in the United States. 
Nobody, no other criminal in that prison got something like that. And they get this package and it's a bunch of, you know, things like, I don't know what they had, cookies and crackers and what have you that you don't get in prison. And the first thing they do is open it up and share it with everybody in the whole room. Isn't that, see there it is. I've got two sandwiches, he's, he's got none. Now I've got to apply this law of love. <laughs> How about dealing with the shortcomings of others? What does love tell me to do about that? Well, Proverbs 17.9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. So, there's just all kinds of implications. If you abound more and more in your love for one another, it goes so far in making you say the right thing at the right time and knowing what to say. And if you start to lose that, you start messing up. I mean, I've seen situations where I'd have something that just, it would just, uh, what am I supposed to do in this situation? It just looks impossible. And somehow or another through prayer or whatever, God would give me love for the person and immediately it's like, well, sure, this is what I need to do. <laughs> Let me give one example of it. Some of you, if you've read this, you're familiar with it, but it's good to be reminded. I think it's such a good illustration of this whole principle that I'm trying to bring out. Paul says, I want you as a Christian to be able to prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to be able to know what to do in difficult situations. Well, how? How are you going to discern the things that matter? Well, he says, I want your love to abound still more and more toward one another, and then you'll know. So this is, uh, this is from Evangeline Booth, who was the daughter of William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army back at the beginning. Uh, they were, God was really with them, and a lot of people were uh, down and out type people were being reached. I remember uh, William Booth took one of his sons to one of the worst sections of London, one of the bars, and uh, took him in there and he said, Son, these are our people. That's the, that was the heart of William Booth. This is his daughter Evangeline. Um, she actually lived until 1950. But um, she found herself one morning outside the large iron gates of a local police court and temporary prison. Waiting for the gates to open, she heard the shuffling of heavy feet and loud, agitated voices. And then these are her words. The gates opened wide, and I witnessed a sight which, if eternity could wash away from my mind, time never can. It was a woman. Two policemen walked in front and two behind. One stalwart man firmly held the right arm and the other the left. Her hair, there's, what, six policemen on this one woman. Her hair was uncombed and matted and disheveled. Her right temple was blackened with bruises. Clots of dry blood stood upon her left temple. Her clothes were torn and bloodstained. She tried to wrench her arms from the grasp of the policeman. The very atmosphere of the morning was laden with her curses and oaths. She tossed her head wildly as the six policemen dragged her down the passageway. 
What could I do? One more moment and the golden opportunity to be of help would be gone. Could I offer a prayer? No, there was not time. Could I sing? It would be absurd. Could I give her money? She could not take it. Could I quote a verse of Scripture? She would not heed it. Okay, now what am I going to do? Got a hard situation, don't know what the will of God... Oh, I better go back here and try to find the law. There aren't any. There aren't any in the new either. As far as a specific commandment for that situation. But, if you're full of love, if you really are full of love, she says, whether it was a divine suggestion or not, I did not stop to think. But the impulse of a burning desire which filled my heart as she passed made me step forward and kiss her on the cheek. Whether the police were taken off their guard by my extraordinary action and relaxed their grasp, I do not know. But with one wrench, she freed her arms and clasped her hands as the wind spread her matted, disheveled hair and she looked away toward the gray skies and said, My God. She looked around wildly for a moment and then said, My God, who kissed me? My God, who kissed me? Nobody's kissed me since my mother died. Lifting her tattered apron, she buried her face in her hands, and like a little lamb, she was led to the vehicle which took her to prison. Later, I went to the prison in hope of seeing her. Now see, it's not enough to just kiss her. I went to the prison in the hope of seeing her, and at the door stood the warden. When I approached the warden, she said, we think her mind is gone. She does nothing but pace up and down her cell, asking me every time I go in if I know who kissed her. Would you let me go in and speak to her, I asked. I am her only and best friend. The door was open. And I slipped in. Her face was clean. Her eyes were large and beautiful. And she said, do you know who kissed me? Then then she told me her story. When I was a little girl, seven years old, my widowed mother died. She died very poor, although she was of genteel birth. She died in a back basement in the dark. When she was dying, she called me to her, took my little face in her hands and kissed it and said to me, my poor little girl, my defenseless little girl, O God, have pity on my little girl, and when I am gone, protect her and take care of her. From that day to this, nobody ever put a kiss upon my face until recently. Then again she asked me, Do you know who kissed me? I said, It was I who kissed you. Then I told her of him whose life was so much more tender than mine could ever be and how He went to the cross and bore our sins upon Himself and was wounded for our transgressions, that He might put the kiss of pardon upon our brow. In Him she found light and joy and comfort and salvation and healing and love. Before she was released from the prison, the warden testified not only to the change in her life, but also to its beauty. She was made through Christ the means of salvation to numbers of others who were down as low as she had been and who were bound with fetters as heavy as those with which she herself had been bound.
So, um, you get a feel for the reality, the beauty of the of the law of Christ. Love. It's just it's there's nothing like it. But it is the hardest thing, isn't it? It's the hardest thing there is to die to self and to really love other people and to love God. Well, may God keep us from being religious and um, being Pharisees and give us love for one another and for all men. Amen.